Welcome back to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, where experts discuss and share best practices to manage the convergence of the wired, the tired, and technology. I'm your host, Ira Wolf. Well, welcome back for another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Really excited today about our guest, uh, John McAllicott from York Exponentials. Uh, John and I met uh, maybe about two years ago. He was the keynote speaker at a manufacturing summit about what the future will bring. And, and as I always say, the future isn't coming, it's here. Uh, but John, and as I was listening to John, I, I accused John right afterwards of... Uh, kind of reading my mind and stealing my stuff, but it's actually the other way around. Uh, John is really at the uh, cutting edge and leading edge of, of what's going on with the future of work and robots and technology. So what I want to do is uh, introduce John and uh, welcome John. Uh, we're going to really just dive into this right now. And, and part of this uh, was jump-started by an article I read just a week ago about a robot barista. So John, hey, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Ira, for having me. This is uh, this is an honor, and I'm uh, just on a personal level, I'm excited to catch up. I know it's been a little while; we've both been on the road and uh, out there uh, preaching the good word of the fourth industrial revolution. So this is this is great. Thank you. No, excellent. I appreciate it. So again, um, I asked you uh, right before the call. I, I I mentioned something about uh, I guess last time when we talked, you you were starting a school, and uh, most people recognize it as a coding school. Uh, I guess corrected me uh, or put me on the right path of of what your final destination of that was. So uh, why don't we pick up there? You were telling me uh, about what the uh, you know really was about creating robots. Yeah, so uh, so I guess I'll, I guess I'll start by um, by outlining kind of the the three separate entities that uh, that we're working on over here at York Exponential, and that'll kind of lay the groundwork for the the workforce we're trying to train. So the the first entity we have, I'm the president of the Fortress Initiative. Uh, we're a nonprofit that's dedicated to bringing opportunities and awareness and education around the fourth industrial revolution to third tier cities and rural communities. Uh, so a third tier city is a city of 100,000 or less. So traditionally, communities like York, like the community that that I live in. Um, have always been left behind uh, by technology, whether it's the Internet, computers, mobile devices, the web, you name it. It always hits us 10 years later. Uh, we have a strong belief that robotics, artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, these are not going to be technologies you can sit on the sideline and just wait and see what happens. Um, and we can't afford to let our communities be left behind again. Uh, so that's why we created the nonprofit. Uh, York Exponential is our for-profit, so I'm the CEO of York Exponential. We are a collaborative robotics company, so we focus just on human-sized robots. They're smaller, uh, they're safe to be around, easy to program, first generation of humans and robots working together. Uh, we have two sides of that business. One, we will come in and put in uh, permanent fleets, so if you're looking to have your workforce augmented, uh, again, not automated. Um, we don't actually say the word automation at our company. We say augmentation. Um, we can do that. Uh, but we also realized very quickly that a lot of folks uh, can't afford to buy the robots. And a lot of times they don't even need them uh, permanently. They, they're just maybe job shops or small mom and pops, um, and so they might have a six-month contract. So you can actually hire our robots the same way you would hire a temporary workforce. So we also have a robot-as-a-service side. Um, and all of this leads to the necessity of us training a brand-new workforce. Now, when we created uh, the Fortress Academy, which is our licensed higher education institution, um, and, and I'm sure, Ira, you've experienced this, where very often you're talking about the future, and even if it's the very near future or sometimes the present, it just sounds too crazy to everybody. 
<laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I mean, and I know you and I follow the same people, but uh, I actually, in in my uh, presentations, and you know, again, I'm I'm focused on uh, you know how how are you how are companies going to hire the, these people, and it's getting tougher and tougher uh, to be able to uh, not only build the robots but to service them and 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 work yep. alongside them. Um, but uh, I I keep talking about this brain computer interface. Uh, you know, I I used to have a one of my slides is uh, of a guy and he's putting a, a thumb drive into his head. And everybody used to laugh at it. We go, yeah, wouldn't that be crazy? We can take all our memories and experiences and and download them or upload them, um, you know, onto a thumb drive or the cloud. Well, you know, route, that, that sounds absolutely crazy, but it's hap- It's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Well, and it just recently, um, and and this all kind of leads into our philosophy of how we what we think the next generation of tech workers will look like. Um, I, I don't know if you saw recently. I think it was last week. MIT uh, developed. It was like a, a jawbone. So it goes from your ear all the way down to your mouth. And apparently, um, when you go to speak, there's impulses that are sent from your brain to your jaw. And so this, uh, this jawbone reads that, those thoughts, um, and it, it doesn't require any implants, no surgery. You just put it on over your ear like you would a Bluetooth headset, and you can control robots. I mean, it's it's incredible. Yes. Yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In fact, yesterday I was on I was on an interview and they were saying uh, they were interviewing me for the look ten years out. What's the future of the resume? And I go, what resume? Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and all of this leads to kind of what we did with the Fortress Academy. So the Fortress Academy is a higher uh, it's a licensed higher education institution. So we're essentially a college licensed by the state of Pennsylvania. And this was a very long, uh, a long and difficult process. So as an entrepreneur working within the educational system was probably, it was one of the most frustrating, but the most eye-opening experiences that I've ever gone through. Um, The the feedback we got, it was funny. So uh, having raised money before and being a serial entrepreneur, I've been used to always uh, being able to answer questions quickly, present myself professionally, um, you know, be, be polished. You know, investors expect you to have an answer or be able to get them an answer. And so the, the first time we went before the Department of Education, um, if I was to get up and say, we're going to you know, build robots and humans and robots working together and all the other stuff, they would have thought I was nuts. But at the time, code schools were very trendy. So I said, all right, well, maybe they'll know what a code school is. And uh, unfortunately, they did not. And the feedback... <laughs> Sounds like Congress and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, so it's very similar. That's, it's funny. I was watching that, and I was like, I know how you feel, Mark. I know how you feel. Like, that's all I could think of the whole time. So the, the first, and this is not to, uh, not to downplay the Department of Education. They've actually been an incredible supporter of ours now. There was just a, a mutual education that had to happen from my end and their end. But the first experience I had um, was we got shut down. I mean, we were the first code school that had ever presented to the Board of Education. They didn't know really anything about it. Um, there was maybe one person, I think, that understood technology that was on the board. And so we got shut down. So we ended up having to go through a couple different consulting uh, partners to figure out, okay, well, how do we speak education? Um, how do we really be, a- be able to do this? And so we ended up getting our license. But before that, the feedback I got from the consultants was, all right, we did some digging. We met with folks at the Department of Education, and this is what they said. They said, um, you answer questions too quickly, and you look too put together. <laughs> I, it was, I was crazy. I, 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 I couldn't wrap my head around it. I, I said, so... So I'm answering the questions that they ask too quickly, and, and they also said too much data, like I was backing it up with too much data. Um, and, uh, and so, oh, and they also told me my, my suits look too nice. So I had to wear iller fitting suits. 
Um, it was the, it just a very bizarre experience. But it, it opened my eyes, I think, to why education hasn't embraced technology at a fast pace. Um, I, I think there's a, a level of fear. So, so it took a little while for us to figure out how to do this. And also, um, we, we honestly had to build empathy, right? Like we had to understand that, okay, as entrepreneurs, we're used to operating a, a certain way. And as educators, they're used to operating a certain way. And it's not like one way is right and one's wrong. They're just different. And so, um, so it, was, it was a good uh, experience not only for our company but also personally. It helped expand my worldview and uh, be able to meet people where they are. Um, but ultimately, the reason we went with the code school model was because people understood code schools. Um, but, but realistically, we realized very fast that when robots explode, it's not going to be about the tech and it's not going to be about the hardware. It's, the winner is going to be who can install them the fastest. Um, because it's not like it can go viral, right? Like it's not going to be like an Instagram or a Facebook. Uh, hardware is very different. I mean, it's hard. Like it's difficult. Right. And right now it's done by engineers and degreed engineers. And, and I don't think, you know, I have to convince you that the United States has a, a huge gap in technical talent. And, you know, the colleges are just not going to be able to keep up. And so the thing we decided was, well, if we believe humans and robots working together are, are the present and the future, and this is going to explode, then we need to train a workforce of regular people, solid middle-class workers that can uh, do the work of engineers. So that's, that's what we did. We created the Fortress Academy. It's accelerated education. And ultimately, we want to create the first generation of robot mechanics, uh, so robot technicians, regular people that are trained in a very short period of time to only install and focus on collaborative robots. So these, those are those robots that are designed to work and, with and alongside uh, people. So we believe this next jump, while a lot of communities are you know, focused on trying to get all their kids to learn to code and get in the app economy and you know, the sharing economy, you name it, whatever buzzword is, is out there, we believe this next big leap in technology is going to look less like Facebook in 2013 and more like Ford Motors in 1913. So, uh, so Henry Ford, when, uh, when he started Ford Motors, I mean, during his time, there were 1,800 automobile manufacturers. And Henry Ford didn't win by creating the best technology. Uh, what he did was he found a way uh, to standardize the automobile with the Model T and then train a workforce of regular people. Uh, before that, automobiles were seen as a plaything of the rich because they were built by craftsmen and engineers. Uh, a team of people would put together this one, and they were all like kind of experts. Um, what Henry Ford realized was if the automobile was ever going to uh, work its way to the regular person, you needed to find a way to train a workforce where everybody was good at a piece. Um, and the byproduct of that was he created the middle class. So we believe this next jump, very much like uh, Ford Motors, was uh, you know, the horse to the automobile to increasing human capability. We think it's going to go from humans to humans and robots and artificial intelligence, you know, the other tech we're talking about, to increasing human capability. And the byproduct of this, if done correctly, will be the rebuilding of the middle class. So at our core, uh, we want to create the, the first um, mech ecosystem. Uh, so tech has a very specific focus, um, but mech ecosystem, we believe, is, will be the first truly inclusive technology ecosystem. You know, we're, we're going to need PhDs, and we're going to need uh, coders, but we're also going to need folks that are good with their hands, that are mechanically minded. Um, right now, technology ecosystems are very focused on computer programming or specialists in artificial intelligence, typically a higher level of education. Uh, but where does that leave the truck driver that's going to lose their job to autonomous vehicles? 
No, no absolutely. It's scary. Um, you, you mentioned something just 30 seconds ago about the MEC ecosystem. What is that? Mm -hmm. It's an, an acronym? Yeah, no. So, uh, so everybody right now, and, you know, ecosystem building has become very trendy. So the idea of, uh, you know, the tech ecosystem, that's where everybody kind of lumps the sharing economy and all of this other stuff, normally knowledge workers. Well, we believe the mech ecosystem will be focused on uh, folks that are mechanically minded. So it's not technology workers, it's mechanical workers. Okay. And as the digital... M -E -C -H? And physical, yep, yeah, yep, M-E-C-H. Okay. Yeah, so as the, uh, as the digital and physical worlds collide, this is going to create new opportunities for folks that before were seen as uh, maybe not smart enough to learn to code, or, or quite frankly, you know, so I can computer program, but I don't enjoy it. Like, I don't like sitting behind a desk for hours and hours and hours. Now, some of my guys do. I mean, my engineers, they love it. But it takes, us, it takes a specific person to love it. Now, can, can everybody learn to code? I think, yeah, I think a lot of people can. Maybe not everyone, but right. a lot of people can. Does that mean everyone's going to enjoy it? No. And, and to try and force people to just be a new cog in a new machine is probably not the greatest thing for our nation. So we believe a mech ecosystem will be truly inclusive, not only of your background and your education, but also your age. I mean, very often when we talk about ecosystem building or technology, it's always focused on millennials or the next generation. Where does that leave folks that are, are valuable? They have a lot of life skills. They're hard workers, but they don't fit in like the app economy. But in a mech ecosystem, we need those people. We need the people that are good with their hands, that have the work experience, that know how to interact with uh, other people. So we've, we believe that the MEC ecosystem, while it will be focused on robotics, um, will always have people at the center. Uh, and so that, that's kind of our big push. Um, at York Exponential, we like to talk of ourselves as the uh, first generation of responsible disruptors. I love that. So, hey, you've mentioned there's a million things. I've got some questions for you. Um, and I, I think I know the answers on most of them, but I'm not sure <laughs> our listeners do. Uh, again, as you're talking, it's like, oh, I've been, you know, I said that, or boy, I wish I would have said it that way. So you mentioned a couple things. I, I love the idea of the automation, not automation, but augmentation. Again, some of the st statistics that are out there and some really, really good surveys and, and research, you know, ranges from 5% of all jobs will be completely eliminated. Uh, unfortunately, that means a lot of the, the people in, that were making middle class incomes on lower skilled jobs, they're, they're going to be gone, you know, to as high as 38% of all jobs. Right. And we can talk about that. Is that going to happen in, in that time frame? But I think the bigger thing that you're, that I, I try to have people focus on is that two thirds of all people's, of all jobs will be one third automated. And Correct. that means in one sense, it's, it goes back to the Jetsons days is that we're going to have a 10 hour day, you know, not quite if it's only a third of our, our 40 hour week. Um, but the reality is, is that e even the remainder of the job that's there, that, it, that, that, is, um, that is not automated, uh, is going to require higher school skills. And that sounds right. exactly like what you're headed on, is that this isn't going to be the elimination of every job, but it's going to be that uh, collaborative, um, uh, I guess, um, transition. Uh, between robots and humans. I mean, who knows what it'll be in a hundred years, but you know, for right. now. So you you gave an example. I mean, and and again, trying to make it real for people. What does this mean? Because everybody still has the images of the transformer, you know, coming in and doing all your work. You, you talked uh, in this article last week, and I guess uh, I don't know if it, if that day happened yet, but you talked about the Roborista, the the robotic yeah. barista. So you know, tell tell me a little bit. Did you have that event yet? 
Yeah, we did. So this is actually really neat. So, um, so right now, uh, especially on our rental side, we're, we've been standardizing our robotic platform. And we have them in the manufacturing facilities, and they've been working great. And uh, as a challenge, we wanted to see, okay, can we take our platform and pivot it out of manufacturing into something that is public-facing? And so uh, as a way to kick off National Robotics Week, which is uh, this week, um, our first Friday in York, what we did was we worked with Ironic Coffee Shop in downtown York, and we put our Roborista in. Uh, so this was a way for one of our collaborative robotic platforms uh, to be out in public serving coffee, hot chocolate, kids, families, uh, people in the city could uh, interact with the robot. And then as part of our, uh, our Robathon, so we did our, our first hackathon around robotics, and we invited people from the community to come in and participate. Uh, one of the hacks was to take the Roborista that we built and turn it into a vodka bot, so a robotic bartender. <laughs> So, uh, so they did it in 30 hours. They pivoted our platform. And these were regular people. And, in fact, uh, it was two physics teachers from local high school came oh, in wow. and worked with our engineers to pivot it. And last night in the White Rose uh, in downtown York, the, uh, the Roborista became uh, the Hala Vodka Bot. We partnered with uh, Hala Vodka, which is a local vodka uh, company. And, uh, and it was bartending. So it was serving mixed drinks. And actually uh, tonight, and this is uh, – I'm not sure uh, what today's date is. Uh, it is April 12th. Um, we are actually going to have it over at Rockfish doing the same. So, so it, it sounds like it's kind of like a fun, neat thing. But in reality, it was to, it was to prove out a concept, a um, couple things. One, that we can pivot this platform we're building very fast. Two, that regular people with a very limited amount of training can do it. Three, we want the public to see the robots and interact with them. And, and four, the, the coffee shop was incredibly excited because uh, especially a lot of service industries like this, the actual making of the coffee or the serving of the drinks, that's, that's not always why people go there, right? What they go is because they build a relationship with the, the venue and right. the people that work there. Right, absolutely. So the robot, right, the robot was able to do some of the background stuff. Um, it was a cool draw. People were you know, excited by it. But at the same time, it allowed the baristas and the bartenders to spend more time interacting with customers. Um, we believe, and, and a lot of people, you know, this is, this is kind of, I think, the misconception is they think artificial intelligence and robotics will fix all our problems. And then you've got other people going, well, what am I supposed to do in this? And, and very often, the answer is if you talk to a lot of the, the tech companies out west, they don't really think about that. Right? They're like, well, it'll be great for you. And they're like, well, it won't be great for me. I'll have no purpose. Right. And what we're really hoping in, this, in an ideal world, this is what we're hoping to build, is that um, you know, our robots, the same way you know, in the first Industrial Revolution, before that, everyone was almost on the verge of dying all the time, right? Like you're one bad storm away from all of your crops being destroyed. Um, but the Industrial Revolution allowed people to work five days a week. Uh, you could have a steady paycheck. You could plan days off. Um, you know, that's kind of where we got to right now. So we're hoping that this next jump in artificial intelligence, robotics, if people are included and are at the center, perhaps we will work, you know, only two days a week at a, at a regular job. You know, the robots will make us more efficient. We'll be able to output more. But then the other three days, your job is to basically be a good citizen. You know, so people talk about universal basic income and people getting paid to do nothing. I don't think anyone should be paid to do nothing. The reality is I think if there is going to be a universal basic income, you should be paid to be more human. The, the, the misconception is that AI and robots will fix all our problems, and I think artificial intelligence and robotics should free up humans so that humans can fix all our problems. 
Um, and, and we went through this. Um, we actually experienced this. One of my, uh, one of my engineers was in a, a manufacturing facility that we were putting in robotics, and one of the big line workers came up and uh, basically said, you know, are your robots taking, taking my job? And, uh, and he just didn't know. Like, he kind of shrugged his shoulders. He was brand new. And, uh, and you could see that the, the, the line worker was visibly upset. And he was like, well, how would you feel if, if a robot took your job? And my engineer's response was, well, that would be great. I would just go home and play video games all day. And so <laughs> that just made the line worker even more angry. Right. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Absolutely. So, right. Yeah, I, I hear that all the time. So, I mean, I also um, I read that you have uh, Vincent van Gogh doing we do, uh, yeah. ro- robotic-style portraits. So tell me, how, how does that not replace the, uh, the sketch artist on the street? So, uh, so again, the, the reality was, uh, it was it was kind of a it was a, a fun thing. It was a way to show machine learning and computer vision, um, but it was also like a, a tangible takeaway. Again, our thing is humans and robots. Um, so what it did is, it took a photo and then it, it did a caricature, but it was designed to look like a robot did it. So it looked very digital. Um, but it was a it was just it was a neat thing for us. It was to fun. Do. Yeah, um, it was fun. Yep. Yeah. So what, yeah, what's uh, the next step? I mean, what what else do you have going on? I I know. Um, you know, I've, I've got a strong healthcare background. They're working with a lot of healthcare organizations, and uh, you know they're really struggling. Uh, as a lot of the organizations I'm working with are struggling to find CNAs and RNs. Right. Um, anything happening on that front? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I think I definitely think within healthcare, there's going to be an increase in robotics. Um, I think probably um, artificial intelligence is going to augment doctors, so we'll need less doctors. But I actually think we probably will need more nurses. Um, because the, the capabilities of RNs will, in, will be augmented um, through robotics and artificial intelligence. So it will allow them to do things that, you know, you don't need as much schooling. Um, but healthcare is unique because it is a very uh, people-centric uh, business. Um, so I definitely think there's, there's room for an incredible amount of augmentation happening within healthcare. Now, us personally, um, it isn't one of the verticals we're going after right now. We did experiment with it early on. But there's, a, there's just a different level of rigor that comes with working within the healthcare industry, especially with robotics. Um, so if anything, that, will, that might be one of the things that slows down robotic adoption at scale. Uh, same, same thing with, um, you know, there's other industries that are highly regulated um, that make it a, a little more difficult. Um, but I definitely see that day is coming. I think probably the first, and you know, you're already starting to see it with, with Watson and uh, other AI platforms. Uh, I think DeepMind is doing some stuff with the National Health Service in uh, Great Britain. I think the first augmentation is going to come probably through artificial intelligence. So it will look very invisible to most people. Um, it will increase efficiency, save money. Will those savings get passed on to the consumer? Probably not, um, again, because it's, it's kind of invisible. But I, I definitely see that the gap is going to be filled by augmenting the current workforce. And then there will just be a, a new type of uh, health care provider. Uh, actually, I don't know if you've, you've talked to these guys, but I know, um, I know the folks over at Aspire in Lancaster. Uh, they're an artificial intelligence uh, company, but healthcare care is their big focus. I think they're developing a, a hospital over near the train station, and uh, Clio is the name of their artificial intelligence so their, uh, their goal is to bring together a, a team of world-class doctors and have those doctors augmented by artificial intelligence to lower the cost for folks and to uh, increase um, the, the possibility of a more accurate diagnosis and uh, uh, symptom relief, things like that. So I, I think they're actually a pretty good example. I mean, they're going to build a whole hospital from the ground up where it's uh, human doctors partnered with their artificial intelligence. 
Now, what that's going to look like in the long run, I'm not sure, but I, I do know part of their hope is that they're going to make healthcare more affordable for all. So for me, that's what I would love to see is, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, robotics, all being used for the greater good in a way that improves everybody's lives to free them up and to, to make sure that they have access to good health care, good food, um, clothing, education. Uh, you know, and it sounds a little utopian, but, um, but I think if we're deliberate about it, that, that is not out of the realm of possibility, but, uh, but we do definitely need to be deliberate and focused. Well, I know both of you, both you and I are on the same page. We follow the same people, and, you know, it's that world of abundance. You know, the, uh, you know we live in a world of scarcity now, and it's, and it's how do we make, uh, you know, the basics of life uh, just abundant. Right. And, you know, whether it's, you know, and it's not necessarily money, but it's, it's water and food and health and quality of life and, and time, you know, and, and we can't create time, but we can create balance and, and yep. all those sorts of things, and that's uh, that's the goal. So I, I know you're up against the clock. I know you have a, a couple things. I appreciate you taking all the time today. Um, if someone wants to get in touch with you, John, how can they do that? Yeah, so probably one of the best things to do is go to our website, yorkexponential.com, um, and you can submit something through the uh, the info, and I get I make sure that I get all the info as well as uh, as well as our contact points here. Um, if you go there, you'll also be able to see uh, one of my keynotes where I talk more about uh, technology, you know, the coming change, and we actually dive into the York plan. So uh, we didn't really touch on it too much today, but, um, but York, Pennsylvania, which is the city we live in, and, and York, you know, the town that we're named after, um, actually saved the world in 1940. So uh, a plan came out of our town uh, before the rest of the nation was prepared. Uh, York actually came together. We came up with a 15-point plan that was essentially everything that San Francisco has been doing for the last 10 years, crowdfunding, people built makerspaces, manufacturing became Uberized. And when the war was declared, uh, the whole nation adopted this plan under the slogan, do what you can with what you have, and it spread through Rotary Clubs. So we're kind of bringing that plan back, uh, but this time to face uh, the cha coming challenge in disruptive technologies and as it's becoming more and more apparent, uh, kind of the brewing technological storm that's happening in China with uh, the China Made in, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Made in China 2025. They said by yes. 2025, yes. yeah, China's going to be the, uh, the world robotic superpower. And then by 2030, the world artificial intelligence superpower. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a, a real thing that's happening. You know, our nation is falling behind. And uh, we cannot afford to let the industries of the future um, be dominated by, uh, by somebody else. So we're, uh, we're bringing that plan back. And if you watch that video, you can learn more about the York plan and how that, how we believe that applies to our nation at this time. Well, thanks, John. Hey, I really appreciate it. Uh, enjoyed it. I uh, just let you roll. I know I can do that. I don't have to prepare many questions for you. So <laughs> you're, you're like me. Just uh, ask the question and, and, give, and, and you're off on a tear. If you want to uh, uh, contact John McElligott, it's uh, M-C-E-L-L-I-G-O-T-T -T, uh, at right. York Exponential. I know I'll be uh, thrilled to be able to do that. If you're looking for a great speaker, I can. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, you heard parts of it today. You can see his keynote up on the website, but uh, get in touch with John. And I appreciate, I appreciate everybody uh, joining in for a little bit of time. I know everybody's got a lot of things uh, to do, so appreciate you uh, listening in. The, uh, the podcast is available on iTunes and some other sites. Until uh, next time, uh, this is Ira Wolf, Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>